You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from ScoreZag Score and taking over here at Locked On. First, I want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you are a new listener to me or coming over from my previous show, a reminder to please follow and subscribe to this podcast wherever you already get podcasts, and to look out for our upcoming YouTube channel, which will start in the next few weeks for folks who want to see and hear what I have to offer for this community. All right, today's episode is the second in our extensive player preview series, taking a brief but thorough look at every player on Gonzaga's roster and detailing their basketball history, a look at the best and worst case scenarios for them during the 2021-22 season, and finally a closer look at their expected role and production this season. These episodes will air multiple times per week right up until Gonzaga's exhibition opener against Eastern Washington on Halloween. We talked about super freshman Ben Gregg in yesterday's episode, and today we are discussing point guard Andrew Nembhard, who will bring experience, versatility, and leadership to Gonzaga's backcourt in his second season in Spokane. All right, so let's get right into it. Andrew Nembhard, player history. So he was initially recruited by Gonzaga out of Mount Verde Academy. That's where he played high school basketball. He was a Canadian basketball player growing up, and so there was a lot of connections. Obviously, Gonzaga has recruited quite well in Canada in the past with Kevin Pangos and Kyle Wilcher and Robert Sacre and various others that I'm sure that I am forgetting. So they were pretty in on Nempard coming out of high school. He ended up deciding to go to Florida. The plan, at least for him, the plan that was written about him at the time was that he was kind of looking to be a one-and-done guy. Very understandable. Any player would like to go into the NBA as soon as possible if that is their long-term goal. I uh, did not work out for Nempard in that situation his freshman year. He averaged eight points, five and a half assists per game. He did start all 36 games for the Gators, and he played like 33 minutes per game. He was a big-time contributor for Florida right out of the shoot. Uh, but their offense was a little disjointed. I don't think it fit his style particularly well. Certainly at least not as well as it has fit at Gonzaga, which we'll get to in a minute. But he didn't he didn't play all that bad. I mean, eight points, five and a half assists is certainly good. He shot forty one and a half percent from the field, which is not great. Thirty-five percent from three, which is okay. He ended up returning for his sophomore year, was up to eleven and a half points per game, five point six assists, so about the same there. But his three point percentage dropped a ton. He only shot thirty point eight percent from three as a sophomore at Florida. It was a very alarming shift. Again, I don't think the offense set him up very well. He was guarded. He took a lot of contested threes at Florida and just wasn't able to knock them down very well. After that season, he not only declared for the NBA draft, he also entered the transfer portal. So he went through some of the kind of workout situations in the NBA draft, opted to come back to school, and then at that point was a quote-unquote free agent, was unsigned, un, you know, uncommitted to anywhere. There was rumors for a while before Nembhard ended up coming to Gonzaga that Gonzaga was the front runner because they'd had previous interest in him, because they have an incredibly strong reputation of developing transfers, obviously. And at the time, it was expected that Nembhard would be a sit one, play one transfer, sit one, play two transfer in this case, because he had two years of eligibility remaining, but he was transferring in the middle of his collegiate career, which generally means you have to sit out for a year. So he eventually finally committed to Gonzaga. It was this big plan, like, great, the Zags are going to have Jalen Suggs. He's going to be the starting one this year. Then next year, Andrew Nembhard's going to take over as a starting one. 
that is is still the plan. <laughs> that is none of that is wrong per se, but right before the season started, you all remember this was a big deal. It was like less than a week before Gonzaga's first game of the season, it was announced that Andrew Nemhart was going to be immediately eligible. The NCAA was really lenient with waivers last year because of COVID, because the you know, the season got cut short last year. All of the stuff that happened kind of just granted the NCAA this ability to be extra lenient. Obviously, every player got an extra year of eligibility on top of many players like Nembhard getting the chance to be eligible for their new schools right away. And of course, one of the most wonky situations, which we talked about in the previous episode, if you missed it, check back in your feed talking about Ben Gregg and the fact that he played for Gonzaga last year during what should have been the second half of his senior season in high school. But Nemhard got eligible. He did not start right away because they already had their plan in place for who was going to start. Obviously, Jalen Suggs and Joel Iyayi were going to play significant minutes at the guard spot. But Nemhard, even though he didn't start right away, he still played a ton of minutes right off the shoots. He began the year in reserve role, but through 18 games, even though he'd only made three starts through his first 18 games, he was still playing 27 and a half minutes per game. So he was he was off and running. He was in the lineup. He was ready to go from day one. And in those 18 games, he averaged nine points, four and a half assists, and shot 30.4% from three. So again, we're going to talk a lot about that three-point shooting in this episode. We didn't see an uptick in that three-point shooting uh, for in the first 18 games. After that, he started. He he played his way into a starting role. He started playing in place of. So he started in place of Anton Watson, who was relegated to a kind of sixth man energy guy role off the bench, which I think, frankly, probably suited him a little bit better. Uh, he started. Nembhard started thirteen of the final fourteen games. He bumped up to thirty three minutes per game, so six more minutes per game, which is a pretty significant bump. He was up to nine and a half points, four point one assists, so pretty similar there. His three point percentage went up to thirty five percent. So all of a sudden, the starting role, we saw a guy who started to knock down threes at a 35% clip. It's not elite, but it's far from bad. 35% is distinctly adequate and will get the job done. And I think it probably helped to be part of an offense that, you know, obviously he played a lot of minutes with Jalen Suggs and Joel Eiei anyway, but now in that starting lineup to play more minutes with both of those guys, it forces the opposing team's perimeter defenders to have to kind of pick and choose. So what it does is it allowed Nembhard to be open more often because they, you know, they weren't going to leave Jalen Suggs open. They were not going to leave Joel Iyayi open. So if they had to pick somebody to leave open, it was going to be Nembhard. And it's a little bit easier to make open threes than it is to make threes with the guy in your face. Hence the bump from 30% to 35%. We saw some phenomenal individual performances from Nembhard last year. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't recall this game. Nobody's going to ever forget the Gonzaga-UCLA game, trust me, nobody will ever forget that game, but I think it's going to be pretty easy for people to forget that Nembhard had a really good game. He had 11 points and 8 assists in that game. He nearly had a double-double. Of course, he was even better before that in the Creighton game. The Creighton game was an incredible performance from Andrew Nembhard. He had 17 points. He had 8 assists. He shot 3 of 5 from 3. 60% of his threes went down, 17 points, 8 assists against Creighton. Again, that 11-8 and performance against UCLA, which will definitely get kind of, you know, (laughs) swept under the rug a little bit. We won't remember it as well because of Jalen Suggs' heroics in that game, obviously. It was an interesting year for Nembhard. We didn't see the three-point shooting show up in a way that we hoped that it would. But one thing that was a huge difference for Nembhard between his Florida career and his career at Gonzaga, or at least his first season with the Bulldogs, was his two-point percentage. At Florida, he shot 48% or 49% on two-point field goals in his two years with the Gators. He shot 60.2% 
from two with the Zags. More fast breaks, more open lay-ins, just a better mid-range game. Mid-range Nembhard was a huge thing last year. He took a lot of jumpers from the free throw line, and he seemed absolutely automatic. It was complete money from right there. That was a huge part of his game last year. And to see it bump up 12% from his career at Florida to Gonzaga is a huge, huge boost. He also was a more efficient passer. His assist numbers were down a little bit, but his turnover numbers were significantly further down. Per 40 minutes, he averaged 6.6 assists at Florida and 2.8 turnovers per game. In the 40 minutes at Gonzaga, he averaged 5.9 assists, so only less than a about a half an assist less and 1.6 turnovers. So well, so over a full turnover less during his time at Gonzaga. So that is a huge bonus for M- for Nembhard to be a more efficient scorer inside the paint and a more efficient passer during his one year at Gonzaga. All right, that is a wrap on Nembhard's extensive basketball history leading into this season. Coming up next, we're going to look at some of the best and worst case scenarios for Nembhard entering the 21-22 campaign. Ben Online is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a newly updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, this is a reminder, this is the second episode in a multi-part series talking about every Gonzaga player on the roster. Check back throughout the month for more player previews leading up to the season opener on Halloween. All right, so this is the second segment, best case, worst case scenarios. Again, I'm going to say this caveat uh, for every one of these episodes. This is best case within reason and worst case without injury. So I'm not going to talk about players' best case scenario being that they are a consensus All-American and the first overall pick in the draft unless I think that's a realistic outcome for them. It's not a realistic situation for everybody. So even though, yes, technically that is everybody's best case scenario, it seems silly to talk about that when it's not the best, the most realistic outcome for every player. Same thing with injuries. Every player could get hurt. That, but that, that doesn't need to be said. That's very obvious. Hopefully it does not happen. Gonzaga has had a lot of good luck with injuries throughout their 20-year run with Coach Few, but we're not going to sit here and say, well, the worst case scenario for Andrew Nembhard is that he gets hurt. Duh, that would be really bad. So we're not going to discuss those kinds of things. We're going to talk about as if they're healthy, what is the most reasonable outcomes for them on a best case and worst case scale. So with Nemhart, the best case scenario for Andrew Nemhart, quite simply, is that he's one of the best pure point guards in the country. Hands down, he's already displayed through his first three collegiate seasons that he is an elite passer. He's averaged over five assists per game multiple times. He is a great passer, and in a best-case scenario this year as a full-time starter, as the lead ball handler on this team, he displays that he is one of the best passers in the country, in the world, (laughs) on the planet. Uh, Best-case scenarios for Andrew Nempard, WCC first team, frankly, WCC player of the year. I think he's got a lot of competition from the two players in his front court, which is going to make it difficult for him to win that award. Also, you know, Alex Barcelo at BYU, there's a lot of really good players in the league, but in a best case scenario for Andrew Nembhard, he is at least in that conversation 
for WCC Player of the Year. And frankly, All-American is is within the cards. It's within the cards for Andrew Nembhard to be at least in the conversation for All-American. I think it's very possible he makes one of the teams. I don't know that I would be betting on him being an All-American first teamer necessarily. That's the high end of the best case scenario, but it is possible. And we're talking best case scenarios here. So yes, Andrew Nembhard, WCC first teamer, WCC player of the year candidate, consensus All-American. Those are all things that could happen in a best case scenario. Here's how. Here's how that stuff goes down. The number one thing, the thing that it will be the biggest conversation about Andrew Nembhard, that streaky outside shooting becomes consistent. There was a 19-game stretch, a 19-game stretch. That's over half the season last year, where from December 28th to May, excuse me, May, March 9th, during that stretch, Andrew Nembhard shot 38.5% from three. The man can do it. If you shoot 38% for 19 games, you can do that for a full season. The difference between Andrew Nembhard as a 30% three-point shooter and a 38% three-point shooter is huge. It is huge, especially for this team that right now lacks consistent outside shooting. I think Gonzaga will shoot the three ball just fine this year because I think Chet Holmgren is going to be a good outside shooter. I think Dom, Dominic Harris and Julian Strother are going to be good three-point shooters. I think Nembhard will t- tick up. We'll talk about that more in the third segment, but they need some consistent outside shooting. And in a best-case scenario, Andrew Nembhard provides that and really shocks opposing defenses because they're not going to be ready for that. You all might remember in 2019 when Ryan Woolridge came out and shot the lights out from downtown. He went from being a career 32% three-point shooter at North Texas to shooting 42% for Gonzaga in his lone season in Spokane. I was kind of hoping for that kind of jump from Nembhard last year. We didn't quite see it. Maybe it's a year late. It's going to be tough. Because now, again, last year, when we saw the three-point shooting tick up was primarily when he shared the court more with Jalen Suggs and Joel Iyayi. Because those guys are gone, because he is one of the, he's going to be the primary ball handler, because he's one of the most important players for opposing teams to guard, it's going to be a little bit tougher for him to knock down a bunch of threes. But he still has the ability to do it. And in a best-case scenario, he's one of the best peer shooters on this team. Additionally best case scenario is that that improved two-point shooting that we saw last year, his mid-range, which was lethal, his ability to get to the rim and finish through contact, his plus three, or excuse me, free throw shooting, all of that maintains for this year. Again, he takes on a different role in the offense. He's not a secondary ball handler the way that he often was with Jalen Suggs. So you're, you're asking a guy to take over being the primary ball handler, which he has plenty of experience doing because that was his role at Florida. But you're asking him to maintain some of the efficiency levels that he had as a secondary ball handler for Gonzaga last year. These are not easy things to ask him to do, but in a best case scenario, he seamlessly makes that transition. He maintains his efficient scoring as a two-point shooter. He upticks his three-point shooting, and he's still and he does all of this while being the primary ball handler. Best case scenario is he continues to show the ability to facilitate the offense. This offense has a lot of dudes who can score the basketball. Chet Holmgren is going to be an absolute freak with his ability to score near the rim, you know, partway away from the rim, all the way out to the three-point line. The dude can score at all three levels. Drew Timmy is a force. One of the best players in college basketball this year, like the odds-on favorite to be the player of the year next year. Andrew Nemhard's primary role on this team, I know I just talked about his shooting and how important that is, but his primary role on this team is to get those dudes the rock. That is the most important thing for him to do in this upcoming season. 
pass the ball to Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy, make the extra pass when necessary, get those guys in situations where they can score the basketball. That's, you know, that's not to even mention Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman and Julian Strother and Dominic Harris and Rasheer Bolton. This team has a ton of dudes who are on this roster primarily to score. Andrew Nemhard is on this roster primarily to get other people the basketball in a spot where they can score. His three-point shooting is important. His mid-range is important. But his ability to facilitate the offense, which is the skill that he's already the best at, this is the skill that he perfected at Florida, that he was good at last year, even as a secondary ball handler. The best case scenario for him is that he takes another step forward and is just impossible to defend because he has the ability to get the ball into the hands of Gonzaga's best scores, which is frankly just about everybody. That is going to be huge for him this year. The best case scenario And this is one that's going to be harder to quantify at the end of the season. But in a best case scenario, he provides this incredible stability to a very, very young group of guards. This is the biggest question mark for Gonzaga next year in my mind. They have a ton of talent. Do not get me wrong. A ton of talent. But the majority of their guards have not played a lot of it. They don't have a lot of experience. Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas, they have none. Dominic Harris has very little. Obviously, Bolton is a graduate transfer, so he has a lot of experience, but he has to adjust to a new offense. I don't think that will be a problem. We will talk about him more when his episode comes up. But outside of those guys, there's not a lot of playing experience in this backcourt. And so Nembhard has the role. He's a veteran leader. He has to lead by example. Maybe he leads vocally. I'll leave that up to him. But he has to be the stability in this group. Some of those younger guys are probably going to have bad days. It happens to freshmen. It happens to younger players. Nembhard needs to be more consistent. He needs to be consistent. In a best-case scenario, he is steadfast. You can count on him every single game because you may not be able to count on Hunter Salas every game, even if he is incredibly talented. You may not be able to count on Nolan Hickman or Dom Harris or those guys every single game, but you need to be able to count on Andrew Nembhard every single game. And in a best-case scenario, that's not even a question. Last thing, best case scenario for Andrew Nembhard, we're not having conversations. I wonder if he's coming back. I wonder what's, you know, whether he's going to go pro. Is he going to sign in Europe? He's going pro and he's going to the NBA. Best case scenario, you're talking about him the way that we talked about Joel Iyayi last year. Now, the best case scenario for him is not that he falls somehow out of the second round and goes undrafted. Ideally, he does get drafted. But I, do, I don't think he's a first-round pick. We'll have a lot more conversations about Nemhart after this season and what his NBA skills potentially look like. But I think he's an NBA player. I think it's very realistic that he has a good enough year this year that he's squarely in the conversation as a mid or even high second-round pick, potentially late first-round pick in a best-case best scenario for Andrew Nemhart. What's the worst-case scenario for Andrew Nemhart? Again, it starts with the shooting. The outside shooting doesn't improve. Frankly, I mean, that's it. He's, he maintains himself as a 30 to 32% three-point shooter. We don't see it tick up from that. Again, he is going to take over as the primary ball handler this year. So he's going to have more defensive attention, most likely. Now, obviously, if Hunter Salas and Hickman and Bolton and all those guys explode and have phenomenal seasons, which is very, very possible, that could take some of the attention away from Nemhart if he settles into a facilitator role, which could allow him to have more open threes. But in a worst-case scenario, he's not knocking them down. Defenses can sag off him, prevent him from driving to the rim, and he can't knock down those open threes and make them pay. Worst case scenario for Andrew Nembhard is that those nights where he disappeared last season remain an issue. And in a guard room that doesn't have a lot of consistency, he's not somebody that can be counted on night in and night out. Last year, Nembhard had nine games with five or less points. 
On a team that had Jalen Suggs and Joel Iyayi and Corey Kispert, he could get away with that. On this year's team, I don't think that he can. Even with the talent that they have, there are going to be other players who are inconsistent night in and night out. And Nembhard needs to be consistent. And the worst case scenario is that he's not. The worst case scenario for Nembhard is that those defensive improvements we saw last year regress because Jalen Suggs was guarding the opposing team's best player every single night last year. This year, that that responsibility might fall on Nembhard. If I get a chance to ask Mark Few any questions this year before the season, one of the first things I want to ask him is who he envisions in that defensive stopper role in the backcourt. Because right now they don't have a clear-cut guy to do that. Is it Dom? Is it Bolton? Is it one of the other freshmen? Is it Nemhart? I I don't know who is going to step into that role. My guess is Nemhart, and if that's the case, and worst-case scenario, he's not up to that task. Worst case scenario for Andrew Nembhard is instead of us talking about him as an NBA player, we're discussing it during the season if he should still be starting, if he should still be getting 25 minutes per night. Now, Gonzaga has so much depth in the backcourt and so much talent that in most schools, <laughs> there would never be a, a possible situation where you would be discussing Andrew Nembhard, even in the depths of, his, of a slump for him, you'd be discussing, should we just not play him as much? But Gonzaga has the ability to do that should it happen. I don't think that it will. I want to be clear here. But in a worst case scenario, we're having conversations of, well, should should we just start Salas and, and Nolan? Should Dom be playing over Nemhart? Those are the kind of conversations that we could have in a worst case scenario for him. And then finally, the last worst case scenario, the question isn't where is he going to be drafted? It's does he fit on this team next year? You expect him to come back for his senior year, but you don't know where he's going to play because Gonzaga's got a ton of other talented guards who are going to be back next year. They're going to have some great guards in the class of 2022. We know that. And so now you have conversations about what are we going to do with this guy next season? All right. Best and worst case scenarios have been covered. Let's come back in the third segment and talk about some more realistic scenarios for the veteran guard ahead of the 21-22 campaign. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Built Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Go to BuiltBar.com now and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order at Built Bar. All right, so segment three, expected role and production for Andrew Nembhard. As you would expect with most of these episodes, I kind of expect them to fall somewhere in the middle of what I label as their best and worst case scenario. It's funny how that works, right? So for Andrew Nembhard, number one expectation, he will be the starting point guard next year. He will be the primary ball handler, I guess is the better way to put it. Obviously, point guard is you know, position, positionless basketball is starting to become a thing in Spokane. That's what Mark Few is starting to do. But I believe that Andrew Nembhard is going to be the person with the basketball in his hands the majority of the time. This was not his role last year. And Andrew Nembhard is a pure point guard. That has always been his role. That was his role in high school. That was his role at Florida. That was his role in terms of what he did on the court last year. But he was not the primary ball handler. That was Jalen Suggs. And so now we're going to see Andrew Nembhard for the first time playing 30 minutes per night, in my mind, 30 to 35 minutes per night as the primary ball handler. 
That's my expect. That's the expectation for Andrew Nembhard in my mind, at least. I've seen some places suggest maybe he comes off the bench. Maybe they start multiple freshmen in that lineup. Maybe they start Dominic Harris in that lineup. I don't buy it. I don't, Andrew Nembhard was the plan all along. Like I said in the first segment, was for Andrew Nembhard to be the starting point guard after Jalen Suggs was a one and done. The fact that he played 33 games last year, started 16 of them, was just gravy. It was just a bonus that Gonzaga got that extra time with him because of the NCAA's ruling. But now the plan is the same. He's the starting point guard. I think Mark Few has always showed that he loves experience. He loves experience. So I think that Nembhard's going to play a lot. I said 32 to 35 minutes. I really believe that. And every year we have these conversations about because of how much depth there is. Is Mark Few going to play a nine-man rotation? Is Mark Few going to play a 10-man rotation? And every year, Mark Few plays a seven- or eight-man rotation, and every year, guys play 30 to 35 minutes per night. Corey Kispert played like 35 minutes per night last year on a really deep team, a team that could have played Julian Strother more, that could have played Anton Watson more, that could have played Martinez Arlauskas more. They played Corey Kispert 35 minutes per night. And I think Nembhard is going to be that role this year. He's going to be the guy who plays a ton of minutes. I don't think that's a bad thing. This isn't a criticism necessarily of Mark Few. There are times when it could perhaps be a criticism. In this case, I think it's fine. Yes, Gonzaga has five guards who could reasonably play minutes next year. And yes, one of those guys probably isn't going to play. I don't know who yet. I don't. I have guesses, but I don't know exactly how they're going to shake that hole up. I think that they will have all five guys at least somewhat in the rotation. The fifth guy won't play a lot, but he'll play a little bit. But Andrew Nemhard's going to play a ton of minutes. I think beyond that, he's going to probably score around the same amount of points per game as he has his entire career. He's averaged nine points per game basically every season that he has been a college basketball player. I don't think that's going to change. This team doesn't have room for him to take more shots, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Unless Andrew Nemhard becomes like even like Ryan Ryan Ward on steroids and shoots like 45% from three, which I don't think is going to happen, he's not going to be one of the best shooters on the team. So why have him take a lot of shots when you have Chet Holmgren, when you have Drew Timmy, when you have, you know, insert any other player on the team here, basically. It doesn't mean Nemhard's not going to score at all. Obviously, he's going to score. He's, he's a threat to shoot. He's a threat in the mid-range. He's a threat to get to the free throw line. But I think the primary role he's going to have is pass and pass and pass and drive and dish and run the fast break and play good defense and knock down open shots. That's the role that Gonzaga has typically had for a lot of their point guards. Now, they've had very, very good score first point guards in the past, obviously. Dan Dickow, Jeremy Pargo, Blake Stepp. They've had tons of guys who are really, really good at scoring the basketball and also good at passing the basketball. Nemhard is one of those guys. He is capable of doing both of those things. But I think that because of the other really talented scorers around him on this team, he's going to primarily be a facilitator. I don't expect a huge three-point shooting uptick. I, I was expecting it last year. I was hopeful that we were going to see a, a Ryan Woolridge-esque jump for Nembhard. We didn't really see it. We saw flashes of it at times. Like I mentioned, he had a 38% three-point shooting mark for 19 straight games, which is fantastic. I don't think he's going to be down at 30, but I, if I was, if we're doing over-under on 35%, I think I'm taking the under. I think he's going to be 33 34% three-point shooter. I don't think there's enough reason for me to believe that he's all of a sudden going to improve dramatically in that area. I'd love to be wrong. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. But also, I don't know that it matters that much. He, if, if he's got open threes, he's enough of a threat to knock him down that teams are going to have to try to guard him out there. And if he's open, shoot him. 
throw him up. Like, I, I don't want him to stop shooting. I want him to continue to take those shots. But his primary role in the offense outside of, you know, situations where he's got wide open looks is to get the ball into other players' hands. And I think he's going to be really, really good at that next year. Really good at that. He's going to be one of the most efficient passers in the nation next year. Assist to turnover ratio is going to be near the top of the charts. Probably going to average, I would I would think, reasonably over six assists per game or close to it. Going to have a phenomenal season. Absolutely believe that. I'm curious what he's going to look like on the defensive side of the ball. Because again, I don't know who's going to be Gonzaga's primary on-ball defensive guard. I don't know who's going to take that role. Most years, there's been somebody relatively clear in that role. This year, unless I'm not thinking of somebody, this year, I don't know who that role goes to. If it's Nembhard, that's going to take up a lot of his energy while on the court. If he's playing 33 minutes per night and also guarding the other team's best player, that is tiresome. I think he's up to the task, and I think that that is very reasonably could be his role next year, but that is not an easy thing to ask him to do. But if it's not him, is it Harris? Is it Bolton? Who ends up taking that role? Something I'm very, very curious about heading into the season. And last but not least, Nemhard's going to be on the All-WCC team. There is very, very little to no doubt in my mind about that, and I do think that this will be his last season in college. I think after this, he will pursue professional avenues. I... We need to see how that three-point shooting looks because, again, while I spent a lot of time talking about how it may not be the most important thing for Gonzaga, it's going to be pretty darn important for his NBA dreams. If he cannot shoot consistently, none of the other skills that he has, I don't want to say they don't matter, but that's going to be a huge detractor for him when trying to make it to the NBA. So I do think he goes to the NBA. I do think that he, I'm, I wouldn't bet on him getting drafted at this point personally without having seen how he looks as a shooter this year, but I think he's got the skills to be an NBA player or at least a G League player. I think enough skills there that he does not come back for the following season. I think we're looking at the final season of Andrew Nembhardt's career as a college player, and frankly, I think it's going to be pretty darn good. All right, Ben Gregg and Andrew Nembhard player previews are now done and dusted. Tune back in tomorrow to hear 30 minutes of discussion about a player I have long stand in Spokane, versatile forward Anton Watson, right here on the Locked On Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and soon to be available on YouTube as well. Just another reminder, podcast links will also be available on Twitter at Locked On Zags and on my own Twitter account, which can be found at ScoreZagScore. Thank you for listening and go Zags. Betting on the Zags doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast. Hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by the betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts.